hey, thanks for being here. Really fun to have you. My name's Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here at Frontline. Like Sean said, if, you, if you're here and you're struggling with Christianity, uh, maybe you feel like you're slipping away from Christianity, or maybe you're just coming back from a long time being gone, welcome home. We're glad that you're here. Uh, all your questions are, there's, there's nothing off limits. We're really excited to, to worship with you. A uh, couple things that I want to just point out before we jump in and look at, look at some stuff in the Bible. Um, last week, something really beautiful happened. Uh, we had in the 11 o'clock service a couple uh, prophetic words given, and let me just take a minute and define that. If, if you come from a background like I did, that probably freaks you out to hear that. Um, or maybe you come from a background where you're like, you're like, where's the flags? I'm so excited he said that. I'm going to start doing the track, running on the track. Uh, so whatever side you came from, we're really, really, uh, as a church, excited about whenever the Lord speaks to us in that way. God speaks in a number of ways. Uh, he speaks to us through creation. Uh, says that the heavens declare the glory of God. Uh, he ultimately has spoken to us in the person and work of Jesus And then authoritatively, he has spoken to us in the Bible. So what that means is as a church, this book actually stands above us in authority. We want to be people that honor and love the Bible. But because we love and honor the Bible, the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit, talks about the way that the Spirit loves to manifest his presence in the church and bring gifts. And the reason why I'm taking just a second to say this is after we had these prophetic words where it's like God speaks to someone for someone else their edification and encouragement and consolation. It's not like this weird future telling thing. It's like God speaks to someone for someone else and obviously you test that with the Bible and you want to make sure that it lines up and if it does then you receive it and if it doesn't you throw it out. The reason I'm spending just a second talking about this is because I had a few people uh, call me, text me, grab me after service and I'm like, hey, like, is that okay that that happens and, and do we, do we want to see more of that? And I just want to take a second, I want to take a second and say 100% yes. We love the Bible. We want to pe- be a church that honors the Bible and we love the Holy Spirit. We want to be a spirit-filled church. We want to see the gifts and ministry of the Spirit happen. Those two things can coexist together. The same uh, guy, the Apostle Paul, that wrote Romans 9, this weighty theological section of Scripture, also wrote 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 about the gifts of the Spirit. And so we want to be a church that embodies and loves both. So let me just encourage you, like when we're singing, it's acceptable to get happy, right? Uh, It's acceptable to raise your hands. It's, It's okay to like shout and joy and dance. Like let me just, if I could say it simply, Jesus is not dead, (laughs) <laughs> he's still alive so uh, we should expect yeah you can clap like I'm I, like it, we should expect for him to show up and to move and to send the spirit and to to help open people's eyes and hearts to the reality of who God is because sometimes I think that you guys come in thinking Jesus is dead but he's not so lots of fun stuff we want to be a spirit-filled church that loves the Bible and loves the Holy Spirit I'm done I, I would like preach for 40 more minutes on that but we've got another sermon So uh, here's what I want you to do. I want you to grab your Bible, go to Luke chapter 18, Luke chapter 18, and then I'm going to pray for you. If you're new to the Bible, Luke is near the back half of the Bible, and if you don't have your Bible, it's okay, because I've got mine, and we'll have the words up on the screen. So let me pray for you while you're turning there. God, we thank you for all the ways that you are at work and all the ways that you want to be at work in and through us. And so, God, we just in this moment, we bring ourselves to you, and as best as we know how, we, we, we want to hold our hands out to you and hold our heart out to you and ask that you would speak to us. We want to ask that you would move. We want to ask that you would change us as people. 
we just confess that we feel in many ways powerless to change ourselves. We feel in many ways like sin gets the upper hand, and we want you, God, to help. We want you to intervene. We want you to step in. I pray for every person in the room that feels weak today, every person in the room that feels like they're getting pummeled with suffering and oppression today. I pray for every marriage in the room that's fallen apart. I pray for every family that feels like life is chaotic and they don't know how they're gonna make it. Every individual that, that is uh, feeling like they're on the brink or suicidal today. We, we pray for all of, of these people, all of our hearts, wherever we are today, would you meet us and would you move and work? We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, Luke 18. So uh, next week, what we're gonna do is we're gonna kick off a new series called Free to Be Human. What we're doing in this series is basically talking about who God is and the good news that we are not him. <laughs> there's things about God, there's attributes about God that we don't share, and, and that's actually really good news for stressed out, chaotic, overwhelmed people that keep trying to be little gods in their lives. So we're gonna look at what it looks like to embrace our humanity over the next several weeks and embrace the reality that we aren't God. We would love for you to bring your friends or family, especially those of, those of you that have friends that don't know Jesus, be a great series. Uh, today what we're gonna do is we're gonna close out our series called Storyteller. We've been in this series where we've looked at the parables that Jesus taught. A third of everything that Jesus did was in the form of story as he taught. And today we're gonna look at one last parable. We've looked at four total, including today. And we're gonna look, about, we're gonna look at a story about prayer. So today we're talking about prayer. Now, let me pause. A couple things just happened when I said that. You may not have noticed uh, deep down inside of your heart, but for most of us, when I said we're gonna talk about prayer today, uh, one of two things potentially happened. For some of you, cynicism and pessimism started to creep in because you feel like you've tried this and it doesn't work. <laughs> so everything that I'm about to say, you're kind of sitting there as a critic a little bit cynical, maybe a pessimist. I've prayed about things and God has, for whatever reason, not answered my prayers. And maybe it was about your marriage or maybe it was about a crisis in your life or maybe it was about you fill in the blank, but you've tried prayer, you feel like, and it hasn't worked. So there's nothing that you're gonna say up there, dude with the microphone on your face, that's gonna change my mind. That's some of you today and I get that. I get that. Maybe you even walked away from Christianity because this thing called prayer felt like it didn't work. There's others of us in the room, though, that, that we're not approaching this from kind of the perspective of a critic or from a cynical, pessimistic perspective. Some of you are approaching this, this topic of prayer. The second you hear about that, you're like, ah, oh, low-grade guilt starts to seep into your soul because you know that Christians should be people that pray and you feel like everybody else is doing really well at this and you're not and, and you don't have a vibrant, passionate prayer life, or maybe your prayer life is like when you pray over your meal for food, and you're like, oh yeah, we should probably do more of this as a family or as a person. And so when you hear about prayer, it's like, yeah, here's another 30 minutes of my life that I'm gonna just get pummeled by guilt because I don't have an amazing, solid prayer life. Can I tell you one thing that did not happen to anybody in the room when I said we're gonna talk about prayer? Nobody in the room thought, I am killing it at prayer. This is something in my life that I'm, I excel at. I'm amazing at prayer. Andrew, sit down. Give me the mic. I've got this today. Let me teach the church. No one said that. So let's just level the playing field for just a minute. Can I invite you, and this is hard because we're from Oklahoma and we're in the Bible Belt and 
we all want to come to church with masks on, but can I invite you to just be honest with where you are with this today? If you're a follower of Jesus and you would say, my, my prayer life is not what I want it to be, my prayer life could be better, and I really hope that one day I go to the grave with a more vibrant, more strong, more committed prayer life than what I have right now. If you're a follower of Jesus and you would say that, would you just raise your hand so that I could see you? All right, take a second to look around the room. Like, everyone is raising their hands. The people that aren't, they're just lying to you, right? Everybody is saying, yeah, I, I need a more vibrant prayer life. I, I want to grow in this. What I have as a prayer life is it, it needs some work. It needs some help. So here's the idea. We actually need whatever story Jesus is going to tell us about prayer. We need it. This isn't like hypothetical, like maybe every person in this room, even those of you that aren't followers of Jesus, it's good to grapple and wrestle with what Jesus is going to teach us. And here's what won't happen today. No one's going to walk out of the room and go, wow, I never knew that. I'm supposed to pray. Great sermon. Uh, this is one of those hard sermons because it's not going to like wow you. It's, it's basic. It's simple. It's like you know this stuff already. So the problem with us is not that we like don't know this and this is new news for us. The problem is that there's something off in how we view God or how we view ourselves or how we view our need that keeps us away from prayer and Jesus is going to interact with all of those things. So Luke 18, look at verse 1. Let's just hear his words. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Why is Jesus telling you this story? So that you'll always pray and so that you won't lose heart. In other words, prayer is for those people that feel the need to lose heart. <laughs> it's there to help you not lose heart. Verse two, he said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while, he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I love how he words this, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Or will he find faith like this on earth? So just three quick things that I want you to see. Here's the first one. I want you to see why is it that we pray? Why is it that you and I should pray, should pray at all? Um, I think some of us have this idea of prayer, that prayer exists as this religious exercise that we do for God. It, it exists for Him, and it's to show our dependence on Him. And so prayer exists so that we can do this ritual to make God feel happy and good and like we are committed and devoted to Him. Or maybe we think of prayer like this. Prayer is something that exists for those really strong, committed, godly Christians. Like you have normal, average Christians and they kind of struggle at prayer. Then you've got the amazing, awesome, really strong Christians and they're amazing at prayer. We might call them prayer warriors. That's how we referred to them in my church growing up. Oh, that person's a prayer warrior. They're, they're just killing it at prayer. They're strong, they're incredibly devoted to God. So is that why prayer exists? Well, Jesus shares this, this story. He gives us this parable to kind of reframe why prayer exists in the first place. And what he does is he introduces us to two characters. 
the judge and the widow. The judge is a person of power, influence, authority, someone that can actually change people's situations and conditions. The widow is a person that is the opposite of that, someone that's powerless, someone that doesn't have the ability to change your situation, someone that's vulnerable. Now, when you and I think of a, a, a widow, we might think of like an older woman who has been happily married for 30, 40 years. Her husband, after loving her really well, uh, passed away and left a large inheritance of money, 401k, life insurance policy, an estate, whatever, to this widow. And so really it's sad that she's a widow, but it's not like this widow's in desperate need. There's the government to help her out. There's the life insurance policy to help her out. There's the 401k retirement plan to help her out. Widows aren't in tremendous amounts of need. Well, that's not true in the first century. In the first century, a widow's needs way surpassed, uh, hey, I need someone to mow my lawn for me or I need someone to go to the grocery store for me. A widow in the first century had one of the most uh, oppressed positions in society out of anybody else. In fact, it was maybe the most oppressed along with like orphans and everybody else in society was like the bottom of the bottom of the bottom. To be a widow was something that was very common in the first century because remember, this was in a day and age where women got married at a younger age and so their husbands were generally older than them and their husbands would pass away and here's the tragedy of being a widow. When your husband passed away in the first century, both Jewish and Greco-Roman law said that the woman could not inherit the husband's estate. So all his money, his house, his possessions, his cars, his stuff, went to the family of the son, not to the widow, not to the woman. So when her husband died, not only did she not have anybody to provide for her, but she didn't have a dime to her, herself. She didn't have any cash. She didn't have any power. She didn't have any money. So widows were frequently taken advantage of. Widows had two options. They could either stay with their husband's family, but if they stayed, it was really hard because they would basically be treated like a slave, Right? They would do all the stuff around the house and they wouldn't get any money and the family of the son would own all the stuff. So they could stay and be like a slave or they could leave and they could go out on their own and, and try to connect back with their family. But if they went back to their family, here's the tragedy of that option. They would actually have to give back all the money that they were given on their wedding day to the son's family, to the deceased son's family. So there was no win-win situation for a widow. It was lose-lose either way you choose. And what often happened in almost all these scenarios in the first century is widows were the, the, like the receiving end of oppression and injustice and all kinds of, of like thievery and wickedness. So uh, sometimes widows were sold as property as slaves just to pay off family debt. It's just tragic what happened. And, and God obviously has a heart for the widow and the orphan. He says that he's the father to the fatherless and, and he, he's the protector of widows. But, but this widow, she's interacting with this judge and she feels her condition. She's like, hey, there's something cruel that's happened and I need justice. I need something to be done. I'm voiceless and I need someone to be a voice for me. And here's what Jesus is doing in this parable about prayer. He's trying to connect this widow's story and her experience to your story and your experience on planet earth. How many of you would just say life on earth is kind of hard? <laughs> life on earth is a little bit difficult. Like I don't know if anybody would say this is just so simple living here. Um, if you watch the five o'clock news, you don't watch that and go, this is a really great place to raise a family, 
right? It, like planet Earth is a really hospitable, great environment. No, like no one, this is a hard, difficult place. And we, especially even those, those of you that are followers of Jesus, we as the people of God are often like the blunt end of, of injustice and oppression and all of these other things. And so let's just acknowledge that life for humans is hard. It's difficult. There are things that happen that honestly should not happen. Like cancer getting into your body, that's, that's never the plan. Your marriage falling apart, never the plan. You losing your job, that was not something that you set out to have happen to you. Not being able to have a baby, injustice happening, oppression happening, tragedy happening, chaos happening. What Jesus is saying is that life for humans is a lot like this widow's experience where you're, you feel at times voiceless, you feel powerless, you feel unable to step into the things that need to happen, and you don't know where to go, and you don't know where to turn. Life is hard. Jesus is saying, that's what it's like. And by the way, that's why you pray. See, prayer is not something that exists for people that have it all together. Prayer doesn't exist for the strong Christian. Prayer doesn't exist for the people that that really have their stuff in order and want to just show God how great he is. Prayer is for those of you that feel like everything around you is falling apart. If you feel like you're in a situation that's painful, then prayer is for you. It says that Jesus told them the story so that they would always pray and not lose heart. If you dragged yourself in today, then prayer is for you. That's the first thing that you need to see. I love uh, that Jesus in his, uh, his, his, his uh, teaching of how to pray, he says this, he says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Do you feel weary today? Do you feel heavy laden today? Then the invitation is to come. One of my favorite books on prayer is by a guy named Paul Miller. It's called A Praying Life. It's just a phenomenal read. He's a, an amazing writer, and it's, it's the most helpful book on prayer that I've ever read. And in that book, here's what he says. He says, Jesus does not say, come to me, all of you who have learned how to concentrate in prayer, whose minds no longer wonder, and I will give you rest. Guys, the invitation to God is not if you have it all together and if you're strong and you feel really great about things and and if you just want to show your devotion and commitment, then prayer is for you. No, prayer is for those that are falling apart. It's for those that are the most weak, the most vulnerable, the most oppressed, those that are in need. Let's just start there. Why does prayer exist? It's for broken people that need it, people that don't have a voice. Here's the second thing I want you to see coming out of this passage. Not just why we pray, but who are we praying to? (laughs) Who are we praying to? This is probably an important question about prayer that we should grapple with. And what Jesus does in the story, I love it, is he gives us this picture, this image of a judge. He tells us two things about this judge. Verse two, here's what he says. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected people. If there are two things that make a judge really great, it's someone that fears God and really respects people. So Jesus is basically saying, this judge is terrible. He doesn't care about people, and he doesn't care about God. So he's dealing with justice issues, but he doesn't have any, like, soul to him, right? This is like Scrooge being the judge and just not really caring and not really desiring anyone else's well-being. He doesn't care about God. He he doesn't respect or care about people whatsoever. And somehow, this story about this really unjust judge is supposed to teach us how to pray to God? How does that work? 
Well, here's what happens in the story. As you heard earlier, uh, this widow, she keeps hounding the judge. She says, judge, I need some justice. Something's going on in my life. I'm being oppressed. Give me justice. Because the judge doesn't fear God and he doesn't care about people, especially little old voiceless widows, he ignores her. He declines her request. So she shows up at, at, at his doorstep early in the morning and walks him to work. Hey, judge, can we talk about my case? I really need justice. He declines. Lunch break, he goes out to eat a sandwich. Hey, judge, let's talk about my case again. I really, really need some justice here. You know that I'm being mistreated. He declines. So he walks, he, she walks the judge home. Hey, I just, I really want to talk about it again. She hounds and hounds and hounds the judge. We don't know if this goes on for days, weeks, months, years, however long. Finally, the judge gets so annoyed, he caves in. Not because he's good, not because he's righteous, not because he cares about widows. He's just sick of it and he wants to just get her off his back. So he gives her justice. Is Jesus saying, that's kind of like how I am. If you just hound me enough, I'm really like reluctant to give you what you need. I really don't want to step in and care about you, but if you just bother me enough, I'll finally cave in and give you what you need. No, look at what Jesus says at the very end. He says this in verse six. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over him? So what he's saying is this judge over here, he doesn't care about people, and even he did what was right, even though it took him a long time of pounding and getting annoyed. How much more will God, who is not a judge to his people, but is a good father, give us what we need when we ask him? This is incredible. In fact, let me just point out that most of the reasons why you and I have a broken relationship with prayer is not because we have a broken relationship with prayer. It's because we have a broken view of God himself. Most of you think of God like this judge. He's, un, he, he's, he, he's reluctant. He's unwilling to step in. He doesn't really care. He doesn't really care about what's right, and he doesn't care about me. He doesn't want to actually bring me what I need. Not true. Jesus is sharing this whole story to try to change your perspective about God. God is not this harsh, cruel judge that doesn't care about you. The way that the Bible describes him and the way that Jesus describes him is as a good father. In fact, it's interesting, isn't it, that every time Jesus tries to reframe prayer, he's really trying to reframe the way we see God. Listen to this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Pray then like this, Jesus says, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Like for the Jewish Israelite, they would never refer to God as Father. God would refer to himself as Father, but they would never pray like that. They, were just, they had this very uh, kind of religious, formal relationship with God, and what, God, what Jesus is saying is, I want you to think of God as Father, this loving, concerned, aware of what's going on in your life, Father, that wants to step in and bring you what you need. So if you're wondering, why is my relationship to prayer broken? Maybe it's not really prayer. Maybe it's really your view of God that needs to be changed. Who are we praying to? Well, we're praying to a father. Here's the third thing I want you to see finally is not just who we're praying to, but how does this father feel about our prayers? Because once, once we say that God is a father uh, or a parent, to us, it's like, okay, well, I understand that relationship. Uh, if, if, if you have kids in the room, you know what it's like to be hounded, 
to, uh, to be bothered and annoyed and, and have your kids be so ridiculously persistent that you eventually cave in, don't you? If you're a parent in the room, do you know what it's like to have someone just nag you till you eventually cave in? My daughter's awesome. She's also the most stubborn, bullheaded person I've ever met, my five-year-old. And uh, uh, I'll go in resolved to a request about candy. No, I'm not gonna give you any candy. I'm resolved. Uh, and then five minutes later, I feel great about the fact that she's only walking away with like 10 pieces of candy. It's like, how did that happen? I went in like, you, you get nothing. And then I finally I'm like, oh, praise God, she only walked away with eight. What happened, right? I, I went in resolved that she annoyed me and eventually I caved into that request. If you don't have kids and you're wondering, what is, what is it like to have a persistent person in your life that is, is, is hounding you so much? What does that feel like? Well, maybe you can relate to this video clip. We'll just show you this for a minute. First time Family Guy has ever been shown at Frontline Church. I, I, I don't recommend that show. That's not like a hearty endorsement, okay? Uh, it just gets the point across really well. Her face, her facial expression, that is the face of every mom Monday through Friday, right? Every single, maybe not, okay. Some of you gave me a funny look. All right, at least in my house, it's like, what do you want? You can have it. Just don't ask me anymore. We'll give it to you. Is this what Jesus is trying to teach us about prayer? Is he saying that, like, is he comfortably laying in the bed, kind of stressed out, his eyes are a little bit like, oh, I just need a break from you, and you keep hounding, and you keep hounding, and you keep hounding, and you keep bothering, and you keep requesting, fine, I will give you the justice that you want, just get off my back. Is that what God is teaching? Now, it's interesting, isn't it? Because he doesn't describe us as annoying little kids. How does he describe us? Well, look at verse 7. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? That word election or his elect, that might freak you out a little bit or make you uncomfortable. It shouldn't at all because the way the Bible talks about the elect, it is the most beautiful, incredible, powerful way that God could ever describe his relationship to you. Listen to this. This is Ephesians chapter one, verse three. And here's how you, if you're gonna get a, a right relationship to prayer, it's not just having a right understanding of God and, and, and uh, seeing him as a father. It's having a right understanding of how that father sees you. So l listen to this in chapter one, verse three of Ephesians. Blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Why should we worship and bless God? Because he's blessed us in Christ with what? Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him, when? Before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Listen to this. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons, not as slaves, but to be in his family as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. This is what he wants for us 
to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Look at verse seven. In Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. He knew what he was doing and he lavished grace and love and riches on you in Jesus, making known to us the mystery of his will according to the purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, not like a widow that doesn't have anything, but we've obtained an inheritance in Jesus, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. What does it do to you for you to know that in Jesus you have been deeply and profoundly loved before the world was even created? What does it do for you to know that God has been head over heels with you and lavished upon you all things, grace and, and, and mercy and forgiveness, the, the complete forgiveness of everything that you've ever done, and redemption and adoption as sons and daughters. Jesus has literally given you his life. God has withheld nothing from you. What does that do for you to know that God has given you all things in Jesus? That's the way he sees you. His elect the reason why we're bad at prayer is because we view God as a judge that is unconcerned, distant, cold, far away, doesn't really know what's going on in our life or care. And we see ourselves not as his special people, the ones that he's loved, the ones that he wants to redeem, the ones that he's bringing to himself. When you learn to see yourself that way, Prayer is the natural thing that starts to happen. So, God is a father, but he is not annoyed with you like those of us who are parents in the room get annoyed with our kids. Hey, it's okay to admit it. My kids are amazing, and I get annoyed with them sometimes, right? And if I, as a bad father that gets annoyed with my kids and still really wants their good, and really wants to give them what they want, really wants to pour my love and affection on them, and really does have concern in my heart for what's going on in them and what they need and to bring justice and protection for them. If that's how I feel, how much more does God, as the good father that he is, without sin, without any of the brokenness that I have, look at us and love us and treat us and respond to us? That's how you learn to pray. I see God rightly. I see myself rightly in Jesus and I see my need and then I just have to pray. That's what happens. So, persistent prayer. Jesus is teaching in this passage that if you are a weary person today, if you feel bankrupt spiritually today, if you feel like you're nervous about what's going on with your finances, you feel nervous about what's going on with your job, you feel nervous about what's going on in your marriage, you feel nervous about what's going on in your life, if you feel overwhelmed, if you feel these things, the invitation today is, hey, pray so that you don't lose heart. Pray today so that you don't lose heart. It's not this religious duty. It's not this thing that you have to check off to make God happy. It exists as a gift for you because he is a good father, unlike this evil judge and you are his elect, not this poor, insignificant widow that doesn't matter to him. You're his special people. So, a couple things as we wrap it up. First is, I think some of us 
If we're ever going to learn to pray, we need to learn to repent of the ways that we've seen God. Some of you see God in a really broken way. I think today's invitation is, would you stop believing the, the lies that you have in your heart about God, and would you start believing the truth about who God has told us that he is, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, rich in love, abounding in steadfast love and mercy towards us. That's the first thing. I think the second thing is not just to repent of how we see God. I think some of us today need to embrace how God feels about us. If you close your eyes and you picture God thinking of you and he's got a frown on your face, I would say you don't yet know the the riches found in the good news of the gospel. The gospel says that God doesn't love you because you killed it last week. God doesn't love you because you've tried really hard to do the right thing. God doesn't love you because you've had some success at, at overcoming addiction. God doesn't love you because anything that you bring to the table, God loves you because he himself is good and he himself is merciful and as a demonstration of how he feels about you, Jesus came and laid his life down for you so that if, if you had sin and brokenness and you're far from God, he would actually put all of that away in Christ on the cross and then in Christ, welcome you to himself as someone that's righteous and forgiven and loved. Embrace how he feels about you today. Delighted, filled with joy, filled with pleasure that you are his sons and his daughters. Here's the other thing I want you to know is when it comes to prayer, realize that God is always giving us, he's always giving us what we ask for or what we should have been asking for. I think we get hung up on like some unanswered prayers But you need to realize that God is always giving us what we ask for or what we should have been asking for. He's always leaning in. He's always responding. He's never ignoring. Even when it feels like God is silent, there is something that's taking place. I mean, I know this as a parent. Like, I ask my daughter to wait in a room 10 minutes before she does anything, and she comes out in in like 30 seconds. Has it been 10 minutes yet? No, it hasn't yet. Just slow down, all right? 10 minutes feels like a long time to you. It's not to me. Once you get bigger, you'll understand. I think sometimes that's how it is with God. He's not ignoring, he's not, he's not silent. It's like, no, I, I am working, I am doing things. Just, just it feels like it's a long time to you, but it's not, I promise. I'm not on vacation. I know what's going on. He's always giving you what you are asking for or what you should have been asking for. Paul Miller, again, some really helpful words. He says, sometimes when we say God is silent, what's really going on is that he hasn't told the story the way that we wanted it told. He will be silent when we want him to fill in the blanks of the story that we are creating. But with his own stories, the ones that we live in, he is seldom silent. So part of the invitation today is to embrace his story, what he is doing, what he is, what he is wanting to work, and then kind of fitting inside of that. And then finally, last thing. Could I just encourage you that prayer is not this um, pointless ritual that God just wants you to do to demonstrate your dependence on him. There are real things that he wants to give you that will only be given to you in prayer. Craig Blumberg says it this way in his great book, Interpreting the Parables. He says, there are good things which God desires his people to have, but which he has determined to give them only if they earnestly seek him in prayer. So today, 
Don't feel like if God wanted you to have it or he wanted you to experience this or if he wanted to intervene in this way, then it would have already happened. That there's something in prayer that God has for you. There's something that he's holding out. There's some way that he wants to lean in. There's some way that he wants to respond. There's stuff that he has to give you that will only come through prayer. So approach him today persistently and earnestly because he will not delay over you long. He will bring you justice. And though life is hard and you feel like this widow and you feel like it's chaotic and you feel like you need justice, you can approach not an unrighteous judge but a profoundly good father as his elect and experience what it is to talk with him about your need. And he will lean in. He will respond. So would you stand with me? I want to pray for you.